The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 54 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania and to vigorously, relentlessly, and methodically pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem, despite the reactions that others may have to your solution to the correct problem. We have a new normal episode planned for today again, and like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You them and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we utilize an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can always drop us a line at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Today for the you part, we have our latest regular feature, Unscripted Cohorts, which I'm having a lot of fun with, by the way. Plus, we have a question about a supposed connection between corona and vaccines. Should be good. After the you part comes part two, the them part, where each episode we host a guest to help us showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today spans all three. He's Greg Perry, an energy industry pipeline expert. After that comes the me portion of the Pennsylvania Project, where it'll be my turn, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. I'll be focusing on some particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today, as I warned last episode, it's going to be bad beer, part two. There's just too much bad beer. I had to, had to stretch it out. And throughout the show, as is our long-established custom, we typically feature a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to serve as a narrator to read our live commercials. But since we're living in such interesting times, we've been asked again to mi- minimize our in-studio presence. That means again today we have no narrator. But... The good news is that we typically have a second Toastmaster with us, according to another ancient custom, to help read and respond to whatever comes into our mailbag and join us in discussions with our guest. It's a role we call cohort. But the bad news is that we have no Toastmaster cohort today. But the good news is that we have a non-Toastmaster cohort, and he's sitting across from me right now ready to do double duty of cohort and narrator, despite his dread deficiency. So let's welcome back to the Pennsylvania Project for his sixth appearance, the only non-Toastmaster to ever grace that cohort seat, and one of the founding fathers of the Pennsylvania Project, Paul Nicotera. I think all those Toastmasters are out uh, looking for toilet paper, Ken. (laughs) I don't know. That's last week's news, a couple weeks ago. (laughs) The stores are pretty well stocked. They are now. It got a little crazy there for a minute. Yeah. May you live in interesting times. Yes, yes. Do you know that's... That's actually part one of a three-part curse or blessing. May you live in interesting times. Yes. The second one is, uh, may you come to the attention of those in authority. <laughs> and part three is, may you find what you are seeking. Oh, no. That second one sounds horrible to me, Ken. Well, I, I, I do everything I can to not come to the attention of the authorities. Well, here you are in one of the largest media markets in the country, and that's, that's a good way to come to the attention of authority, especially when you complain about how the country has totally bungled the whole Corona crisis. Should I, should I not talk about my supplies at home for for fear of a 
<laughs> that's Someone n- come kicking on my door. That's New Jersey, the ones who come in, they'll knock down your door and steal your stuff without asking. Police state of New Jersey. That's actually true. The governor said if you're hoarding anything that he considers you, something you shouldn't be hoarding, he's going to send the state police and take it away from you. Uh, crazy times, Ken. Crazy I know, times. I know. But we shall survive. We have survived. Things are going on. And uh, and I checked the numbers again today. I check them all the time. And they are – we're still far below what the normal flu season is. Yep. I've, I've been doing the same thing, and I'm, I'm still waiting for the uh, the, the numbers in, in our county even to, to double the way they claim they were going to in, in 24 yeah. hours and 48 hours. And, and it was the IPCC who came out with those numbers? Yeah. It's, uh, They're the same people who said we're going to have that hockey stick global warming curve and it never yep, happened. Yep. You know, the, the problem is uh, everybody's trusting the government to, to do the right thing and, and send the right information. And, and what have we learned <laughs> over our lives about trusting the government? Then? That's right. My wife is part Native American. We'll ask some of her ancestors what they think about trusting the government. They are the, they are the, the greatest witnesses to government deficiency. Uh-huh. Boy, I could spend the whole show just sitting here shooting the breeze with you. This is fun. But we should get along because, as you know, I think it's, it's happened since you've been here before. We have a new ancient custom where I ask each cohort to bring some unscripted question for an impromptu response, something that I have never heard of before. This is like Toastmasters. So what do you got? Well, Ken, uh, to go along with the, 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 the topic of, of the day, I was wondering how you felt about how uh, our governor in Pennsylvania is handling something very near and dear to many of our hearts, uh, that is uh, gun sales and the Second Amendment and our right to keep and bear arms in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, first of all, we don't talk about the Second Amendment here at the Pennsylvania That's Project. right. We don't talk about Article the Second Article 1, Section 21. 21. The right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves in the state shall not be, be questioned. questioned. Why? I have not been paying attention to the governor. Did he say something about our right to bear arms? Well, uh, initially he said that uh, that was not an essential <laughs> business. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and then upon being promptly sued by uh, a couple of fine civil rights attorneys in Harrisburg. Uh, he rapidly changed his mind, and now uh, gun stores are allowed to be opened. However, they are only allowed to uh, accept transfers by appointment and only s- transfers that are deemed necessary. So how do you feel deemed, about... Uh, deemed by... Well... These Article new restrictions one, on our rights. I hate them. Article 1, Section 21 says, rights shall not be questioned. Now... I went through last episode and I went through all of the various powers that the governor has by law in an emergency. And it, it's, pretty, it's pretty broad. And I should have that in front of me, but I don't. And they include things like commandeering businesses, stealing your house, taking your car, sending you to a prison camp and all sorts of stuff like that. So I guess somewhere in there, he could try and question the right to bear arms. But I think if he does that, there are a lot of people who'd be angry about that. Obviously, you didn't listen to the sh- show last episode. I did not. Because I? we had on the Pennsylvania Director of Gun Owners of America, and he talked about all the ways how they are in the forefront of making sure that the governor is well aware of our right. GOA is a fine organization, and you know, a very fine organization. And it's, it's one of the best. It's better than the NRA because they call themselves a no-compromise group. That's right. So if the governor dares to think that he could take away our guns, what do, what do they say? Let him try. That's right. Pry it out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> what was that movie? One of the – oh, it was Men in Black. When, uh, 
the alien's cave, and, and the redneck is there saying, you're going to get the gun out of my hands, out of my cold, dead hands. And the alien says, your terms are acceptable. And they <laughs> kill the guy. <laughs> oh, it's a good one. No, right to bear arms shall not be questioned. And in case things turn south, for those who may have read a book by Strauss and Howe, H-O-W-E, called The Fourth Turning, it's about cyclical history how history overall repeats itself every which is roughly the length of a human memory every 100 years there's a big flip around the book was written in 1995 i read it in 2002 and in 1995 the book says sometime in the next five years something's going to happen which changes everybody's opinion on the world and of course 9 11 happened after that mm-hmm and it said for the next 25 years, it's going to be what he calls the unraveling, where everything falls apart. And right about between 2020 and 2020 and 2030, there's going to be a new world order settling in. Yeah, in 2001, people put a lot of faith in their government, and it has done nothing for the past 19 years but fail us repeatedly. You sound like a libertarian. I, I should. I hope I do. <laughs> you do. Well, okay. Good question and good answer. Governor, knock it off. I should have been a elected governor. He should have been governor. And He's it, so much better right now. In episode 51, I did a speech about what I would say if I were governor during the coronavirus. Anyhow. I'm sure what you would say had a lot of common sense, which just seems to be missing from the equation nowadays. Indeed. All right, let's get on with our questions. We have listeners. All right, we have a question here from Bernie McCann in Elwood City, Pennsylvania. Uh, Ken, your response to the pandemic is an unusual And while I think it might work, I also think it will temporarily overwhelm our hospitals. But I don't get what feels like a contradiction to me. On a recent episode, you discussed medical freedom. You like the sound of it, and you think it's okay to send unvaccinated kids to school. You also think it's very libertarian to self-isolate if you think you might infect others. Shouldn't it be very libertarian as well to vaccinate your children before they infect others? (laughs) Excellent question, Bernie, but there's a logical flaw in the middle of it. But it is nice to see that you're actually listening and trying to connect up various episodes. And in case you missed it, I was just mentioned to Paul. Bernie's replying to my gubernatorial proclamation for episode 52 about how Pennsylvania should have handled the corona pandemic and how it would have handled it if I had been elected governor in 2018. To sum it up very briefly, rather than lock everybody up in their homes and shut down businesses and close the liquor stores, for God's sake, I took a libertarian approach which means you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided you respect the rights and property of others. In practice, that means you should just go about your life, just as always. And only those most vulnerable should self-quarantine. Rather than locking up everyone everywhere and destroying the economy in the process, yes, people will get sick, just like any flu season, and a fraction of the percent will die, like any flu season, and the overwhelming majority of those deaths will be among the old and the infirm. So I suggest that we must take all possible steps to protect those most vulnerable people and minimize the impact of the virus on them. I also mentioned that history shows how flattening the curve only serves to double the length of the pandemic. Thank you very much, Governor Wolf, for that. Anyway, there's a quick summary of my gubernatorial proclamation. There's a lot more to it than that, but give it a listen. Episode 52, about five minutes into the episode. And you know, here we are three episodes later, and I would not change a word of it. Events have proven me out. My proclamation is not me talking real-world libertarianism. It's just not me alone. Sweden is taking the very same approach. They're keeping everything open, 
And despite all the media hype across the planet, they are not at the top of the heap of bodies. A few weeks ago, I quoted an article from Forbes that showed that they were squarely in the middle of the European deaths on a per capita basis. They were number five out of nine that were surveyed. And speaking as a physicist, my degree is in physics, per capita is really the only way and the best way to gauge the impact across multiple countries. And also the article says that the corona fears are the lowest in Sweden among all 26 nations surveyed. But that was two weeks ago. I looked at the numbers today, and out of all Europe, they're not even in the top 10 in terms of per capita deaths. In other words, there is no reason to destroy our economy. Sounds like I should have been elected governor. It does. Would have saved those Pennsylvanians a lot of grief. And a lot of money. And a lot of money, but I digress. But we're off on a tangent here. Let's get back to Bernie's question. He's trying to draw a parallel to my response to his question from episode 21 about letting unvaccinated children go to school, which I also went into great detail before that in episodes 19 and 18. Let me sum that up briefly so you don't go running away to listen to two old episodes. I said that it's always up to the individual whether whether or not they choose to get vaccinated or whether or not they choose to vaccinate their kids. And if they choose not to, well, then they're accepting the risk. That's their choice. It's straight libertarian principles. Your life your way. Or maybe your death your way if you choose wrong. But regardless, the choice is yours and it always, always should be. So, Bernie, I see no contradiction between my stand on vaccinations and my gubernatorial proclamation on the coronavirus because both leave the choice and the risk up to the individual. But there's a key difference between the two situations, vaccinations and corona. Your question smushes them together, Bernie. Just because someone is not vaccinated does not mean they have a disease that the vaccination is meant to prevent. So if they don't have it, they can't spread it. So I'd say let them go to school. There's a zero threat. And if they did have it, well, the only people they can transmit it to are fellow travelers who also chose not to vaccinate. They're a self-selected group. And in that case, pardon the pun, it aligns precisely with libertarian principles. If you have any sort of communicable disease, vaccinatable or not, it's an altogether different animal. Because if you have something communicable, 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 that is very libertarian of you not to share it. Stay the hell home. Similarly, if you choose not to vaccinate and you come down with a disease that the vaccination is meant to prevent, stay the hell home. But if you don't have a communicable disease, vaccinatable or not, the issue is the same. Get out of your house. Live your life your way so long as you're not sick. And I, Bernie, I got to point out this one thing. Uh, the guy who does our bumper music, Joe the Pag, he has a saying. He told it to me years ago, and I quote it all the time. It's a, the way that you conflate two independent ideas and you make a connection. He said, the comparison is, God is love. Love is blind. Stevie Wonder is blind. Therefore, Stevie Wonder is God. Now, <laughs> he's a musician, and I can agree. Stevie Wonder is definitely up there among the musical deities. But made, Bernie, you made the same mistake. Paul, am I on the wrong track here? No, you're absolutely right, Ken. It's it's uh, up to the individual whether or not they va- they vaccinate. I I choose to vaccinate and vaccinate vaccinate my kids Me too. for my own personal reasons. But uh, I have no qualms with people that don't, and uh, I do believe that in this uh, time that we live in, that uh, 
the vast majority of people, well over 90%, believe in vaccines. Mm-hmm. And uh, 80% is what they call herd immunity. Uh, and that's an argument that I've had with an, a number of people in the science and medical field that, that seem to refuse. Herd immunity is when the population reaches approximately 80% immune. That means that the 20% who are not immune are safe because 80% of the people are already immune. So there is a far lower chance of the people who are not immune catching it from the people who already are immune. I've never heard that. Yes. So uh, they, 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 they tend to not like that argument, and then they, they go into uh, their tangents about things that they believe. <laughs> but the, the truth of the matter is if people had their their druthers about them to go out and, and get sick and ride out the 10 to 12 days of sickness, we'd have a lot more people who were had antibodies and were then immune to it, and, and that would help the people who are not immune, because if somebody's already immune, it's hard for them to... How about that? I learned something today. Yep. Well, on that educational note, that's going to have to do it for the you portion of episode 54. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, we'll be meeting with today's guest, energy industry pipeline expert, Greg Perry. Did you hear the latest news? Almost two-thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel, Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late. Here's an interesting question. What do you think of these three ideas? Number one, people have at all times an inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government as they think proper. Number two, juries shall have the right to determine the law as well as the facts. Number three, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. Do those words sound like they're something taken from a Hollywood political thriller? They're not. They're all direct quotes from Article 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution. Everyone's heard of the United States Constitution, but have you ever heard of the Pennsylvania Constitution? Have you ever read it? But most importantly, was it ever taught to you in school? If you're like virtually all Pennsylvanians, the answers are likely to be no, no, and no. Well, it's long time past we've changed those answers to yes, yes, and yes. And you have a crucial part to play in making that come to pass. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions. So we've authored a petition demanding that the Pennsylvania Constitution be taught to our children. If you believe it's important for our children to know how our state government works, head over to our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com, and add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another batch of signatures, we'll send a copy of the petition to the governor the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 501 school districts in Pennsylvania. Ask them right now to start teaching our children the Pennsylvania Constitution. So please sign the petition at PennsylvaniaProject.com. The alternative is yet another generation that has never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And people wonder why no one votes anymore.
Good stuff. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the Them portion of Episode 54 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. Today's guest is a mix of all three. He's Greg Perry, energy industry pipeline expert. His specialty is pipeline corrosion, and he's worked with all sorts of pipes, gas, oil, fracking, nuclear plants, oil-filled electrical conduit, and much more. He's plied his trade in Japan, Diego Garcia, Alaska, Manhattan, and Pennsylvania. He's also chair of the Bradford County Libertarian Party up there in North Central Pennsylvania, and he helped out with my 2018 gubernatorial campaign. What a guy. He's also a farmer, calling in today from the family farm among the endless mountains in Bradford County. He and his 50 acres of beef cattle, goats, and sheep. He's here today to give us an update on the political, cultural, and environmental situations up there in the heart of the fracking boom. Greg, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project. Ken, uh, such an honor to be on your show. Thank uh, you very much. Oh, likewise, sir. I mean, I've, I've been wanting to get you on here for a while, but you've been way up there. I think the closest we've had, we had somebody from State College on, Michelle Grove, our relentless right to know her. So you, you it, would... It is a little... It is a little inconvenient coming down to the southeast Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, but it's pretty it's down. hot. Yeah, it's pretty down. Not as pretty as your neck of the woods. I've seen your farm. I was up there in, during the campaign. It's just gorgeous. you got that one window there, and it's just broad, and it stretches and looks out all over the farm there. Just beautiful. Yep, and I'm looking at it right now, and it's currently snowing. <laughs> Go on. Really? Is this a flurry? Yes. Yeah, it's quite normal to snow in April, at least once. Oh, my wife is from New York State, just the, the next county up from you. She's from, I guess, Broome County. I forget which one it is. Elmira, New York. And yeah, I'm about 10 miles away from uh, New York State, uh, right about where the Susquehanna River leads. Uh-huh. But when we got married, I says, do you want to live up there, down in Philadelphia area? And she's like, south, south. And we're going to get away from the snow and the cold. Really, that cold up there. It, it does get it does get some cold. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, but you got all of that natural gas and the fracking. I, I hear you guys made made Pennsylvania the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. Well, the the Marcellus Shale uh, is what they're referring to as the Saudi Arabia. It's not just Bradford County, although uh, for quite a long time Bradford County was the most drilled county in Pennsylvania because of the Marcellus Shale. Wow. You are in the epicenter, to use a word that's overused these days. Now, yeah. well, what is there's, it? There's a northern lobe, and there's a, a, a lobe down in southwest as well. Southwest, what, like Pittsburghish? Or yep, out by Pittsburgh. Under Pittsburgh, or left or right of it? South of it, whatever. Oh, I'd have to pull out a map now. Ah, uh, no. See, I don't know. I'm, I'm a geek. I'm not a, I'm not a geologist or anything like that. Well. But you can look out your window. What impact has it had on Bradford County with now that we're the Saudi Arabia of natural gas? Well, the natural gas industry has had a huge impact on Bradford County. Um, some of it good, some of it not so good, uh, some of it temporary, and some of it permanent. Uh, it's changed a lot of our lifestyle. It's, um, it, it has brought a new industry. It has propped up some farms, and it's led to the demise of some farms. Hmm. That sounds ominous. What what sort of what sort of things are you running into? That, let's go with the prop up. What's propping them up? 
then we were the demise. Well, um, you know, as you, uh, Pennsylvania is unusual in that most of the landowners actually own the mineral rights underneath of them, uh-huh. unlike out west. Huh. Um, I didn't so, know. Th- I didn't know that, that was unusual. I, I thought that well, you, you own this wedge that goes from the center of the earth and up through space. And no, that's uh, particularly out in the western U.S. Um, um, and certainly for a, a lot of the rest of the world, mineral rights do not inherently come with title to when you own land at the surface. Interesting. Okay. I, I'm sorry I interrupted you well, there. You were talking about the no, help, help farmers. Uh, well, so uh, some of the biggest landowners out of um, Bradford County is a rural county, uh, and the largest landowners will be farmers uh, mm-hmm. because they, they need a lot of land. This is the Endless Mountains, so it's, it's not flat. Which, but, it's, but it's not flat, which makes farming a little bit more challenging. Uh, and that's why we have a long heritage of, of being in the dairy industry. Uh, traditionally, Bradford County was the second highest production of dairy in Pennsylvania. And, of course, Pennsylvania itself is fourth in the country in dairy production. Well, didn't know that. This is an educational episode for me. <laughs> but also, so the gas um, brought another primary industry to Bradford County, and it was extremely disruptive. <laughs> uh, farming, particularly small farms, um, has a long, has had troubled times, um, and uh, the gas industry did bring some revenue to to large landholders, but um, also because of the disruption, uh, it made things a lot harder as well. Well, I'm, I'm not following that. What what was the what, did, what was the good that it brought them? I'm sorry, what was the good that it brought them? Yeah, I mean, they're the large landowners. um, How did it help them? Okay, because, uh, well, uh, when they first started developing the Marcellus Shale, um, which is a completely undeveloped area, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, a rush to get people to sign away, uh, to um, sign leases to allow uh, extraction of the gas underneath their land. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, they wanted some sort of compensation for that. And Pennsylvania has got the, uh, the 1978 law, which guarantees at least 12.5% of the value of the gas that comes out from the land. Oh, okay. Would be granted to the landowner. I'm with you. So, and there's a very large amount of land. And at the time when the boom started, uh, there was, gas was bringing a, a pretty good price. So there was a lot of interest in developing the gas and... Um, there was upfront money that was being promised in order uh, to uh, commit to, to signing a lease. Uh, and there was a lot of jostling amongst the uh, exploration and production companies to um, lay down uh, a footprint where they could start developing the gas exploitation, where they would drill it and get it to market. Uh-huh. That makes sense. It sounds so like was- that helped a lot of people then. I did. I did. Um, there was uh, a, a lot of talk that everybody was going to get rich, and of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> okay. Uh, some people have, have done very well. Some people have done um, somewhat well, not as well as was promised, and some people really haven't seen much at all. So, 
I can ima- I'm sure you can imagine that's going to bring a little bit of discontent between people within what was what was a well-established community. Uh-huh. Oh, is that a pun? Well-established. Sorry, <laughs> I have a strong oh. sense of humor. Well, what kind yeah. of what kind of payments were they they getting from these from these companies? Are they well? What's at, at the height of the rush, I think um, just the signing fee was got up to about fifty five hundred dollars an acre. Wow! Uh, so if wow. you were sitting on a hundred acres, um, that's five hundred thousand that dollars. Quite a good chunk just to just to sign on, just uh, just to uh, agree to allow give them a three year. Um, window where they could start extracting the gas. Uh-huh. Greg, you don't have to answer this. Do you guys sign on? We did. We did. Uh-huh. Are you, are you one of the happy ones or one of the disgruntled ones? You don't have to. You, I could change the well, subject if you want. No, actually, um, we were kind of lucky, I think. Um, we signed up with a company called Chesapeake. Uh, Chesapeake. And uh, there's there's more to, there's plenty to say about Chesapeake. I know that's my but, research. They're one of the ones who came out not exactly on top of the pack. Well, uh, what happened is that uh, they did not um, establish the drilling operations within the three year window. They came to us shortly before that window expired, asked us if they would renew. They offered us a much smaller payment. Um, to renew. Now, we didn't get anything like $5,500 an acre. Um, but they did make an offer to renew. But at that point, I had heard something about the um, uh, the fees that they were charging landowners. And um, we decided not to renew. So our property has, has not is not drilled um, and we're not signed with anybody. Interesting. No, you you got me. That answered my question, but now I raise another question. When you say that uh, you owed, you would owe fees. Aren't they selling the? Aren't they taking your gas and they're selling it? They're going to charge you to sell your own gas. What's, well, what's there it? you're getting into a very controversial subject. Okay, um, this is the Pennsylvania project. We do that from time to time. This is the Pennsylvania project. <laughs> One, one of the, the inadequacies of the 19, um, uh, it was it 78 or 79, the, the law in Pennsylvania, which guaranteed uh, the minimum royalty of 12.5%, was that it didn't define royalty. Okay. Uh, and as you know, definitions in law can be pretty significant, and that yes. uh, went its way through the courts. Um, and I think... Um, uh, there was there was a uh, a decision in about 2010, uh, Kilmer versus Alexco, where the Pennsylvania Supreme Court basically said, "Well, the word royalty is not defined, so um, we can't enforce some of the problem. Uh, we, we can't. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to um, define whether somebody is meeting those terms." And there were a few companies after that that decided that they would start charging something called post-production costs. Uh-huh. Now, a lot of people signed leases that specifically prohibited being charged for anything like um, uh, processing gas that came out or, or costs for transporting it or, or um, any other sorts of costs 
that went into the gas before it was shipped to market or getting it to shipped to market. Uh, a lot of these leases specifically prohibited these, but in many of them, there was this clause that allowed the company to charge something called post-production cost. Okay, I see. So it was something- and using using that umbrella, uh, the companies because they had to build out a lot of infrastructure to get the yep. gas to market. Yep. Um, they started charging for that and um, tried to recover billions of dollars in costs by taking it out of royalty check. I understand now. Not good. Just goes to show that you should always read a contract. And I always do that, too. You know, I, I signed an insurance policy. I said, I'm going to read it first. And the guy's like, it's 10 pages long. And I said, yeah, and? <laughs> no, you got to read them. Hey, I'm your caster. Yeah, well, whenever you, make it a, whenever you sign a contract, whenever you make an agreement, that's, uh, that's agreement with, between two parties. Yep. Um, and as a libertarian, I, I'm a pretty strong believer that people should be able to make agreements. I uh, agree. And they'll hold to the letter of those agreements. I agree. Greg, hang on. One agreement we have is with our advertisers. And yeah. we're going to have to take a break at the moment. We'll, we'll be, you're listening to episode 54 of the Pennsylvania Project. And we're going to be right back after this information with more from our energy industry pipeline expert, Greg Perry. Do you like the Pennsylvania Project? You must. After all, you're listening to it right now. But would you like more? More of the rants, the guests, the fun? Well, you're in luck because by popular demand, we've added even more content. Things like keeping the mics live after the credits roll at the end of the show, while we continue our on-air conversations. It's all 100% unscripted and often includes things we can't say on the air, or shouldn't. Would you like access to each episode the day it's recorded? Live streams of every show as it happens? behind-the-scenes interviews and bonus videos with our guests. All this is now available at PennsylvaniaProject.com. But wait, there's more. Sign up today and you also get a copy of Ken's novel, Atlas Snubbed, a parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And you can even call in live and participate on the show. How's that for more content? You can be the content. So if the idea of more Pennsylvania Project excites you, Head on over to PennsylvaniaProject.com and click the More Fun link at the top of the page. Solve the correct problem correctly and sign up today. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader? Communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters, and now I have my very own radio show. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact a club near you. Visitors are always welcome, and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all-inclusive system that will help you generate an extra 5 to 10 customers per week without spending a single dollar on ads. You won't have to create a website, have pictures taken, or write a single ad. 
Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V, W-E-R-L-E-Y.com. Time for a tongue twister, Ken. Fave fly fishing. Fly fishermen, new and old, understand the importance of affordable quality gear. At Christopher Fave Fly Fishing, we've provided that for over a quarter century. Whether you fish dries, wets, or any combination, Christopher Fave, F-A-V-E, flyfishing.com has an American-made leader for you. Pennsylvania proud, our reputation rests solely on your complete satisfaction. Again, that's Christopher Fave, F-A-V-E, flyfishing.com. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and we're back with episode 54 of the Pennsylvania Project, and Greg Perry, our energy industry pipeline expert. And it's odd not having you in the studio, Greg, because I can't tell if you hung up on us or not. Are you still with us? I'm still here. <laughs> and you know, I got to ask, I love your accent. Where are you from? I was originally born in Australia. I moved to Pennsylvania uh, back in the late 70s when I was and started high school there. Uh-huh. So, oh, you think you would have lost your I, accent? I say there because it was down in southeast PA in Chester County. Oh, okay. That's pretty horse country down there, Chester County. Well, I had to ask. It just sounds real cool it's talking to you. Probably the, you're probably the first Aussie we've had on this show. Now, yes. before the, the break, you were talking about the, how they were charging post-production costs. Now, is that... Yeah. Does that exceed the revenue that comes in? I mean, are people like now out of pocket money on this? There were, um, I mean, after after the Supreme, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision that basically the gas companies knew they could get away with it. There was a bit of time uh, where they said, "Okay, um, we may, uh, we were not going to." Uh, most of them said that they weren't going to collect back uh, fees uh-huh. uh, up until the date of the decision. But by the time they came out there, yes, they did start collecting some back fees. Uh, so there, there were times when people were getting not, nothing in a royalty check, and there were some times where they got negative amounts, which basically amounted to bills. That's my I don't question. Think there was anybody that, I don't think there was anybody that had to pay, but they, they took it against future revenues, I'm sure. Huh, and then they could always do it in the future and take it against future, future revenues with future, future expenses coming up. Well, uh, hopefully they don't do that. <laughs> hopefully? Uh, they signed a contract. Well, um, you know, if you, if you think about it, a lot of these contracts specifically prohibited being charged fees for these. So the post-production costs were a backdoor way of doing it. And because of the Kilmer versus the Lexco decision, uh, they could get away with it. Wow. There's been many efforts to try, and the Supreme Court said that the problem was there wasn't a definition, and there's been several efforts to provide a definition, but because of arguments about whether that would apply to existing leases, even though the Kilmer decision uh, affected existing leases, um, it hasn't passed. Uh, and there's been, of course, opposition from, from other people in the legislature, uh, and it just it just hasn't passed. Well, what's the basis of the opposition? I mean, what did they object to? Uh, 
well, you, you're, you're tempting me to become kind of cynical that there <laughs> might be people we, we do. That, that may have been affected by their favoritism towards the uh, uh, the gas industry. Uh-huh. That's true. We are we do focus on the political, cultural, and environmental issues. So, if, as, and I warned everybody, you, you're a mix of all the three. So, your cynicism can be whatever you like it to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I can I can I can spare you getting too deeply into that. Um, I, I would tell you though that uh, there has been a lawsuit. Finally, after many complaints uh, and and getting. Um, Getting lawmakers uh, uh, involved in this, we did. I think the governor at the time, um, who would have been Governor Corbett, basically agreed, that, and the the attorney general filed a lawsuit against some of the the gas companies, and one of those being Chesapeake Energy, uh-huh. uh, in order to try and recover these fees back. And that, of course, is take that's uh, being heard in Bradford County. And it was started oh, probably about uh, 2014, maybe 2015. And it's been winding its way through the courts. There's been various motions and so forth that have taken quite a while, though it's still going on here in Bradford County. Wow. You know, and listen to this. This is, it sounds like the beginning there was a lot of euphoria, then reality set in, and now it's at the point where you said that you chose to not renew. What's what's the general feeling up there in Bradford when it comes to these guys? Is is it cordial? Is it ignoring them? Is it love hate? What is what what's the feeling today? Well, um, you, there have from the very beginning there were environmental concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were people. I mean, there were people that worried about the actual fracking process itself, whether it was going to contaminate aquifers. Um, you know, of course, in New York State, fracking is banned because of concerns. In Pennsylvania, the, the deals were signed and it started before any ban could go into place. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it's my opinion that nobody really knows. I mean, there have been plenty of huh. models and speculation. And like everything today, whenever you have some data, you're going to hear about it from somebody that's going to attach some spin to it. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I think until a couple of decades or, or, or maybe longer, we, we won't know whether the, the fracking will have a big impact on it uh, environmentally. You, what about those movies, things like that Gasland, where they show somebody's tap water catching fire? And I know that's been that particular scene has been discredited. But my wife, as I mentioned, she's, she's from Elmira, which is not too far away from you guys. As a matter of fact, we drive through Bradford County and the Endless Mountains when we go visiting in-laws and stuff. And I got to complain about your Endless Mountains. We can never get out of them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, well, but, um, but her well, tap, her tap water <laughs> smelled of hydrogen sulfide because of her, her well water because of, the, of the, what was down there. But that's not related to fracking. Okay, well, it's just the natural, natural currents. Hydrogen sulfide is not... I mean, that, that's generally a component of organic decomposition. Um, and, you know, I guess natural gas is a product of organic decomposition. <laughs> that's true. Uh, Dinosaur uh, decomposition. A few, uh, billion years past that. <laughs> um, this, we've always had some sort of, of, of issue with um, natural gas or, or methane being uh, mixed in with water because the gas is here. It's, it's mm-hmm. in the ground. Yep. Some pla- and there's a lot of it. 
but there were some issues. I didn't see the movie Gasland. I did hear about that episode. Uh, it's my understanding that that was related to one of the earlier uh, incidents where there were some failed casings. Now, if you drill down 8,000 feet and frack at 8,000 feet below surface, um, that's generally not going to come up and affect the surface. Right. But if you've got a casing, if that fractures and that's holding uh, and that's bringing up gas, uh, you could get some leaks that are close to the surface. And I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And there you go. That's right from the gas line pipe expert himself. Greg, we are out of time already. It goes so quickly. I can. Ready? Yes, I'm looking at... There's so much more to talk about with you, Ken. (laughs) I know, it goes on and on. I I have to ask one quick question. It's just a yes-no question. And I I heard this and I laughed and I found out later on that people actually believe this. Does fracking cause earthquakes? Have you had any earthquakes up there? Well, I spent a lot (laughs) of time in California. So for for the earthquakes that they cause, they say are caused by fracking, I'm saying, well, maybe they are causing earthquakes, but it's nothing on my scale that really matters uh, okay that's a good answer it, anything you want to get in there at the last minute any website is there some cause you want to champion airwaves are yours Greg what would you like to add uh, well um, we're looking for candidates to, in Bradford County to run for office uh, you know get a hold of the uh, uh, the Libertarian Party of Bradford County lpbct.org uh-huh. And we're more than happy to hear from you. Yep, or just lppa.org, go through the state party if you're not in Bradford County. That's a good pitch. That's you sound correct. We, could, we should have you as like chairman of the county or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to anytime, Ken. Uh, sounds good. Greg, thank you very much for appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. That's gonna, my great pleasure. Yeah. Mine too. That'll wrap it up for the then portion of episode 54 of the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information, and when we return, I'm going to be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. Bad Beer Part 2. The following is a commercial announcement. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Bad, Ken. Really bad. Why? What's the matter? Our friends at the Infernal Revenue Service paid me a personal visit the other day. Infernal Revenue Service? Yep. Call them what they are. They sent these two big brutes to the house and scared us half to death. I bet. What did they want? Money. Lots of it. Remember that part-time gig I took on last summer? Yep, you were making some big bucks. Yeah, and all those big bucks went straight into my personal bank account. It turns out the IRS doesn't like that. And I didn't file any of the right forms or pay nearly enough in taxes. So they want it all now. Right now. Plus penalties and interest. Ouch. Sounds like you should have called Amendment 16. Hey. It's the damn 16th Amendment that got me into this predicament in the first place. No, 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 no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant do your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th. And they take care of all the taxes? All the forms? Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too. Man, I wish I knew about Amendment 16 sooner. Where can I find them? On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. That's amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N.com. One call does it all. Gun Owners of America is fighting for your right to keep and bear arms in Pennsylvania and across the nation. 
GOA's no-compromise approach protected the firearms industry during the coronavirus pandemic and kept local gun stores open. In Pennsylvania, our members pressured sheriffs to start issuing concealed carry permits again during the crisis. A GOA membership gives you the tools to take action to fight for your Second Amendment rights. Our timely action alerts empower you to defend your constitutionally protected rights in Harrisburg and in Washington. All Pennsylvania gun owners need to band together, and there's no better way of doing that than with a GOA membership. There hasn't been a more critical time to sign up, folks. Not only is this a presidential election year, but Congress and the entire State House of Representatives are up for re-election. So join GOA today for only $25. Go to gunowners.org slash join. That's gunowners.org slash join and become a member for only $25. Once more, gunowners.org slash join. Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to the me portion of episode 54 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Today is bad beer. Bad beer part two. And don't blame me for the choice of topic. It was the brainchild of our executive producer, Mark, and he is correct. It's certainly something that sticks in every beer drinker's craw. Bad beer. I talked about bad beer in episode 53, and as I suspected, it was far too long to fit into the time we had left, and Mark criticized me for that, but not that I miscalculated or anything, although I do have a lot to say about bad beer. What happened is the segment with our guest ran a little late, and for good reason. Our guest was Dr. Val Fennell, director of the Pennsylvania Gun Owners of America. We just heard his commercial. I have to say he was among our finest guests. He was right up there with Veronica Joyner the founder and chief administrative officer of the Mathematics, Civics, and Sciences Charter School of Philadelphia, an inner city school with a 100% graduation rate. Veronica Joyner rocks. Or Susan Carty, past president of the Pennsylvania League of Women Voters, who pulled the league's support from the 2018 gubernatorial debate because the venue owners would not include all the candidates on the ballot. With me being that excluded candidate, thank you very much, Ms. Carty, you rock. But I digress. Uh, bottom line is my rant about bad beer last episode had to be cut a little short to accommodate more of Dr. Fennell. It's a short beer, right? <laughs> There's a term you don't hear much anymore, short beer. At least I don't hear it. My late Uncle John was a big fan of short beers. To him, a large beer is a bad beer. Large is bad. His reasoning was that the bigger beers get sloshed back and forth when you drink it, thereby killing some of the carbonation and some of the flavor. Well, his short beers eventually killed him, too, at the tender age of 74. So in the long run, even his good beers turned out to be bad beers, even though the long run was very long indeed. But again, again, I digress. Just an example of a bad beer. When I ranted about bad beer in episode 53, there was one item I absolutely wanted to get to, which is really the impetus to have a part two now. But unfortunately, as I said, I had to drop it because of the time. I wanted to say more about that worst example of bad beer, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board. (laughs) Monopoly Control Board is more like it. They have a business model taken right out of Soviet Russia. When it comes to the PLCB, the correct solution is ending the state's monopoly on alcohol sales. And it gets worse because somehow, somewhere, they felt that alcohol sales are not essential during the coronavirus. So they closed all the state stores. You believe that? But I guess I'm showing my age here, right? No one calls them state stores anymore. They're called fine wine and good spirit shops. <laughs> right. Fine wine, 
overpriced wine is more likely. Even the police state of New Jersey has case discounts on wine. Try and get that in Pennsylvania. You can't. Or maybe by fine wine, they mean you could be fined if you're caught bringing unauthorized wine into Pennsylvania. Beats me. Just another manifestation of that monopoly power they hold, like being the sixth largest purchaser of alcohol on the planet, all due to their government-supported monopoly. But I, I repeat myself, all monopolies are government-supported. You can't have one without government support. Fortunately, though, the masters have taken pity on us. Although the state stores remain firmly locked, last week, maybe two weeks ago now, the PLCB announced they're starting to take online orders. Oh, gee, thank you, Massa, thank you. But it turned out it's a Charlie Brown and the football moment. I visited their online website, and all their servers crashed. I got a 404 page that says, quote, Due to overwhelming demand, the online store is not available at this time. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you. And then that insult to injury. It goes on to say, quote, please try again tomorrow or in the coming days. <laughs> I mean, isn't this right out of the Wizard of Oz? Come back tomorrow. <laughs> 404, 404. Oh, please. And, and you know, and I went out there again today. It's been over a week since the first time I tried. It is still down today. That's a blunt demonstration of the benefit of any monopoly. Low choice, high cost, intolerable service. The PLCB even makes Comcast look good. That's tough to do, but that's a monopoly story for another day, I guess. Fortunately, though, there's a crack in that monopoly because a few years ago, the pesky powers that be finally authorized beer and wine sales in supermarkets. Hey, welcome to the 20th century, Pennsylvania. A decade or two late. At least we're here. Not sure how we could have made it through the quarantine without at least some relief. You know, I'm going to use a quote from Bernie. I used it last week, and I used it again the week before. I use it again this week. This will be the third in a row. Quote, these people are in lockdown. And let me stress, that's a time when you really want to tie one on. <laughs> True words, Bernie. And you know, I'll bet there are some people out there who are driven to distilling their own whiskey. But hang on. I'm, I'm off topic here. I'm supposed to talk about bad beer, not bad moonshine. I used to make my own beer many moons ago. Pretty good stuff, making my own beer. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but pretty much every homebrew I tasted, ever, ever, any ones I made or anybody else made, they all tasted very good. As good as or better than what's commercially available, including Eric's Rye PA. Oh, thank you, Eric. But what's best about homebrew is there's no Johnstown flood tax. You know what that is. Every bottle of alcohol carries a tax that was originally created over 70 years ago to pay for the damage caused by the 1936 Johnstown flood. The tax, which was stated to be temporary, started at 10%, and over the years it's up to 18%. Talk about bad beer. <laughs> and it was supposed to be a temporary tax? <laughs> that's, that's an oxymoron, temporary tax. But I digress. Anyway, that Johnstown flood left over 30,000 homeless, and through the tax, they rebuilt the town. It was entirely paid for by 1942, six years later, and there has not been a flood like that since in Johnstown. But we still have the tax. Long past time, they repealed that tax and passed the cost savings on to we, the drinkers, changed those bad beers into good beers. And since it's rant, this rant is all about bad beer and how Johnstown flood tax has become a joke, I'm going to close today's rant with a few one-liner bad beer jokes. First one caters to my physics degree. First two. Ready? 
technically speaking, beer is a solution. For you physics majors. And it's a solvent, too, because it dissolves marriages, families, careers. Certainly not smiles. And, of course, I learned in college that you cannot do math after you drink too many beers. That's because you can't drink and derive. Otherwise, it would be easy as pie, right? Wait, you don't think those are funny? I got one. This is the funniest one of all. I laughed out loud. Really? This one's hilarious. You ready? Budweiser brews world-class craft beers. <laughs> Not. Doesn't get any funnier than that. I guess it all comes down. It's in the eye of the beer holder. <laughs> and after that, I'm going to need a drink. It's going to have to wrap it up for episode 54 of the Pennsylvania Project. What do you think about pandemics? About Sweden not destroying their economy? Thank you, Sweden. About tilting at fracking windmills? About bad beer? Anything Pennsylvania related? Not that Pennsylvania has bad beer. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com right after you sign our petition that Paul was talking about. And you can hear us there, PennsylvaniaProject.com, as well as on iTunes and a plethora of popular podcast providers. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting in Philadelphia at 860 on the AM dial every Saturday at 10 a.m., among many other times, and in Kutztown on KUR Radio at 1670 on the AM dial every Monday at a yawning 7 a.m. Every episode is also released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley. Marketing guru is Connor Dragotis. Featured Toastmaster, non-Toastmaster narrator and cohort, our founding father, Paul Nicotera. Official bartender, Brooke Smith. Keyboard wizard, Joe the Pag. Radio producer, Brett Kronberger. <laughs> producer, Mark Bazzacco. Radio producer, Brett Kronberger. That's two episodes in a row. I just switched them around. And me, your caster, Ken Krawchuk. Thanks for joining us. And remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.